Hi, I'm Gordon. And I'm Fiona. We're from Gate Church International in Dundee, Scotland, and we'd like to welcome you to this week's podcast. Our goal here is growing people to bring Christ into our communities and to see you get connected with God, His people, and His purpose. We hope this message inspires you in your faith journey. Thank you. It's my birthday in a week's time. My real uh, biological birthday. A couple of terms ago, I told you it's my 40th, be 40 years this year I became a Christian. I was trying to get you to see how many people you actually believed I was only 40 years old, which is uh, precious few. However, it's a miracle I've stayed alive this long, at least according to the phone calls I get telling me that I've been involved in a car accident. Come on, who knows what I'm talking about here? Yeah, about two or three a week. You've been involved in a car accident. I think it's a miracle I'm still here. Recently, I've started getting phone calls trying to sell me funeral plans. <laughs> Don't know what they've heard. And I said, what if it was on a Friday evening? You know, I do not want to buy a funeral plan. Go away. Just go. However, I do know what songs I want for my funeral. <laughs> One of them is Craig Anderson's song, The Hope. What will I see on that final day? Christ, the hope of glory in me. And the second one is the one we've just sung. So can I give you all an invitation to my funeral? <laughs> it's, it's going to be awesome. It's just a pity I'm not going to be there. <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, it's not for some time yet, though. I've got work. There's work to be done and battles to be won. Amen? <laughs> Believe that. So that's what we're going to talk about today. It's, this is a key time for the church. It's a key time for the church as a whole in this nation and in the West, but it's a key time in particular for this church. We're looking to really expand. And Gordon, what Gordon was urging us to pray for a short time ago is really significant. What we're going to do, I'll do is what, you can put the first slide up, please. It is God's purpose through the church. Now, if you're a contemplative, thoughtful person, anyone here thoughtful and contemplative? If you're thoughtful and contemplative church, what this sermon is about is a theological underpinning for the church. If you're a charismaniac, put your hand up if you're a charismaniac. It's about spiritual warfare. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at a theme which runs through the whole of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So let's read, let's read the first, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the creation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Now, we are actually, at least I have a plan to go through the whole of Ephesians, not verse by verse. We, 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 we may well do not get any further than this, but we'll see. And let's deal, first of all, with predestination. Predestination is something which some people get very hot under the collar about. And some people, you will get some, the people called Calvinists and Arminians, Calvinists, some Calvinists spend all their time proving that Arminians are wrong. And Arminians will speak to have, they've got a lifelong mission to prove that Calvinists are wrong. That's complete nonsense. 
But the Bible is very clear. Two of the things it's very clear about. One is the absolute sovereignty of God. And so as it says here, God chose us before the creation of the world. And it says we were predestined to be adopted as sons. But there's something else the Bible is very clear about is human responsibility. What we do with our lives matters. The decisions we make, the actions we take, what we do with our lives makes a difference. My life makes a difference to me, it makes a difference to other people, it matters to God. And some people say, well, how do you work this out? If God's absolutely sovereign and knows everything that's going to happen, everything's predestined, then it doesn't matter what we do. And then people say, but it doesn't matter what we do. Therefore, God's predestination can't be right. Look, how do these things, the Bible says that both of these things are true. How do they work together? I haven't got a monkey's, and neither has anybody else. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, which is not going to come up there. It says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of his law. And in Proverbs 3, 5, it says, Lean not on your own understanding, but trust completely in the Lord. So what I have to do is, I'm going to live my life in the light of this. That God chose me before the creation of the world. That God predestined me to be adopted as one of his children. And I'm going to live my life in the light of that. Because these, these words weren't given to cause a debate. They weren't given to cause confusion. They were given for our strengthening and encouragement. And let me just give you one example of that. Some of us were born into loving families. Some were born into very different situations. You may have, been, you may have not been wanted. You may have been a mistake. You may have been told you were a mistake or that you weren't wanted. In God's family, everyone is a wanted child. That when it says predestined, the Greek can, uh, the literal meaning of the Greek there is he marked you out to be adopted as one of his children. He marked us out. Uh, if you read the whole section 3 to 14, it talks about the God did these things according to his good pleasure. And he did these things with all wisdom and understanding. So whoever you are, you're wanted by God. You are a deliberate member of his family, a deliberate part of God's family, a deliberate part of God's kingdom. There was no mistake. The decision was made out of the love of God, and it was made with all wisdom and all understanding. Putting you in God's kingdom was one of the best things he ever did. And that's true of every single one of us. So, that's predestined out of the way. You can just rejoice in it. Live our life in, this, in, uh, in the security and the certainty that we have. There's an enormous amount of uncertainty in the world these days. I mean, the government, just utter chaos. There's all sorts of ways. It's just chaos everywhere. But we are secure in God. Then it says, we've got every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And what on earth does that mean? 
there are different ways of looking at the world. The predominant view in the West is a materialistic view. That there's no spiritual realm at all. If you can't see it and touch it, it's, it's not real. The spiritual realm, uh, the, the material realm is all there is. People will do things like, I mean, they, they try to understand the brain, so trying to exp explain everything in terms of uh, electric impulses and chemical impulses going on in your mind, and that's it. And try and explain everything by that. And I think we all know that that's really absolute nonsense. In Paul's time, there was something called Gnosticism, or early Gnosticism, which said that, yeah, there's a material world, there's a spiritual world, the material world's bad, we want to escape from it. What the Bible says is this, there's a material world and there's a spiritual world and they're intimately linked. They work together. Again, you look at what's happening to this nation. I've never known a time when the government has been in such chaos and is utterly pathetic and the opposition is equally pathetic. This is not a political point. <laughs> Plague and all your houses, if you like. And other things going on in the nation. And then he talks about heavenly places. And that sounds nice. Who wants to go to a heavenly place? If you look in, in Ephesians, the heavenly realms or the heavenly places is the place of spiritual conflict. You go to Ephesians 6, 11. We, we might get there, but, but if we don't, look it up. It's a place of spiritual conflict. And sometimes people get a bit nervous if you talk about spiritual warfare. They get nervous for all sorts of reasons. One, you might just get scared. Or you might, you might think, you're losing touch with reality. You're just fantasizing. You're just, you're just talking rubbish. If you look at the rest of Ephesians, chapters 4 to 6, there's an enormous amount of practical, down-to-earth advice in there. It's about living in the church, it's about living in community, it's about living in families, it's about, about work. It's all down-to-earth and practical. Put your hand up if, you're, if you've received emotional, psychological, spiritual healing in your life. That you're more mature than you were, you're more stable than you were. The areas of fear in your life have been dealt with there's a much greater sense of security in your life. Put your hand up if that's applied to you. Now, let me tell you one of the most important ingredients in bringing that about. It was the consistent and persistent love of others. That's why the family is so important. That's why God created families. Provide an atmosphere, an environment in which children can be brought up in because this uh, environment of love is absolutely essential to our well-being and to the well-being of others. Now, who knows it's very difficult to love others? That there are many, many attacks come on trying to stop us loving others. That loving others, spiritual warfare is a very practical matter. It's not just about spinning heads and green vomit. For you don't know, I've not seen the film, but it's about the film, The, what's it, uh, the Exorcist. Spiritual warfare is a very down-to-earth matter. 
very practical. And what this says here, let me uh, paraphrase it. God has given us everything we need in Christ in order to win the battle. That's what we've got. We've got everything we need in order to win the battle. Living God's life, life in a godly way is extremely difficult. It is a battle. There are things which come against us from within ourselves. There are things which come against us from other people. There are things that come against us from the devil. All sorts of things will seek to hinder us. But we have received everything we need in Christ in order to win the battle. Amen? So let's go on to verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remember in you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having your eye, the eyes of your heart opened, enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? This is no small prayer from Paul. He is praying that our eyes of our hearts may be opened to know all the riches that God has for us. If you look, if you look at Ephesians, particularly the first uh, 13 or 14 verses, it's all founded in God. Everything starts with God. And in our practical impact on the world, there are essentially two things that a church does. One is social action, and the other is evangelism. Those are the way, most direct ways we have an influence on the world around us. And it is very easy for a church, and you, you, look, at, you look at the world around, you see, you see it happen again and again and again, for churches to lose contact with Christ. And in some churches, social action, instead of being something they're doing because God has told them to do it, it will become the focus of what they do. It will become it. It will become an idol. And gradually, step by step by step by step, God gets shoved further and further away. And the same thing can happen with evangelism. You might think, well, God's Jesus told us to evangelize. And the problem with most of us is we don't evangelize enough, and that's absolutely true. But sometimes, it, even evangelism can get divorced from Christ. Suddenly, the, it becomes an end in itself. And it can start just, oh, we just want to be popular. We don't want to mention anything difficult. Look, the whole thing about Ephesians is what God is doing. And he is doing it through the church. But the starting point, the foundation, the root is God. It is Jesus Christ. And Paul here is praying that may your hearts be opened to see the fullness of what God is doing through you and for you. And let's go on to the next verse, 19 to 21. It says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. There you've got the heavenly places mentioned again. Far above all rule and authority 
and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And see, it's right, his power for us. There's the measurable greatness of his power for us. And see, so it's like the power he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. But in order to be raised, Christ had to die. And Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it won't bear fruit. This power that he's talking about here is not talking about an easy life. It's talking about fighting battles and winning. And it says there that Jesus has been raised to the highest place. That he is far above every name that is named. Far above every rule, power and authority. And in our society, there are many things around it, many names. There's a lot, a lot of not, increasing amount of nonsense, increasing amount of evil nonsense. They want to teach horrendous things to our children and tell them it's good when it's evil. But Jesus has the name above all names. And we might think, well, how can, how can we have anything to do with that? All this, everything being to the glory of God, about God's... Uh, great power for us. How could that have anything to do with you and me? Well, let's go to chapter 2. First of all, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. That means you were a devil worshipper. Did you know that? You were a devil worshipper before you became a Christian. Don't mean you danced naked around a maypole at midnight or whatever. Maybe some of you did. I don't know. See, you were following the, the devil. We were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Well, that's not very nice, is it? Not very pleasant. And if it stopped there, it wouldn't be. But it's not going to, we're not going to move on just yet. But it doesn't stop there. But that's extremely good news. You might think, well, how, how can I have anything to do with God's kingdom? How could God possibly want anything to do with me? These are the qualifications for God considering you. You were dead in your sins. You walked in... Uh, 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 the same way as those following the spirit of... Dis uh, spirit of uh, disobedience no one is too bad for the kingdom of God you know Jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven was made for them let me messageize that can I messageize it Fiona blessed are the scumbags for the kingdom of heaven was made for them and that means every single one of us is a candidate for God's kingdom. And it means whoever we see outside, whether we know them or whether we don't know them, whether we think they're a nice person or whether we do think they're a scumbag, they can get saved. Absolutely anyone who repents and believes will get saved. And look what he also says, this is what you once were. 
So we may have been walking in disobedience. We now start to walk in obedience. And then see what it says next in 4 to 6. But God, don't you love those words? But God. If it was up to it, if it's all down to us, if it was all about you, about me, it would be a complete dead loss. But God. Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It's all because of the love of God. And what we want to do as a church, because of the love of God, wanted to impact this world. And he does it working through the church. That's what we're about. That's what the church is about. It's about bringing God's love into this world. And then look what it says. Raised us up with him, that's Jesus, and seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places. It doesn't say going to. This isn't talking about what happens when you die. We're not suddenly being whisked away. It says we already have been. Now, what on earth does that mean? The reason we find it difficult is because you've got dualistic thinking. Now, you, I know none of you weren't aware that you had this problem. What it means is you think of earth, and then you think of heaven, and that's how you think of them, utterly separate. Jesus didn't think that way. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is near. And this means, I mean, I'm saying God... See, that's how we often think. It's how the world thinks often time. This is what the Bible says. It means we are seated with Christ, and Christ is all power and authority. He is seated far above every power and authority. So it means that the things that we do, look, when you, we want to love people, we want to uh, tell people about Jesus. The gospel's about putting broken lives back together again. Who knows that that's true? Putting broken lives back together again. But putting broken lives back together again is extremely messy and difficult business. Because of all the damage that sin does to the person who does the sin, and sometimes because of all the damage to other people sin has done to that person. It's an extremely difficult, painful, messy business. It's a spiritual battle, especially when our society seems to be going as, running as far away from God as it possibly can. But we are seated with Christ far above every name that can be named. It doesn't mean there's going to be an easy battle, but it does mean we're going to win. You see, we need to look at ourselves as servants with authority. And we need both of those. If you just look at yourself as someone with authority, one, you'll very soon find that God strips any authority away from you, and you will be an obnoxious git. <laughs> if you look at yourself just as a servant, and say, well, I'm just a servant, I really can't do anything, then you're not being biblical. You're not being the servant that Christ wants us to be. We are servants with authority. I so say that doesn't mean, well, Jesus, 
Look at Jesus. What did he do? He did all sorts of things. He tore the waves of his sturdy cast demons out to heal the sick. But then he also, he washed his disciples' feet and said, you take note of this. This is how we operate in my kingdom. This is what Jesus said. This is how we operate in my kingdom. When he was washing his disciples' feet. And he won his greatest victory by going to die on a cross. We need to keep... These, they might seem contradictory ideas, if you like. But in some ways, life is extremely difficult and messy and painful. But we win. We win. Because Christ has already been placed far above every power and every name that there is. Let's go on to 3 verse 9 and 12. For God who created all things so that through the church, that? through the church, through the gate, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to his eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We are part of something enormously big. See what God says there? He says he's going to make his wisdom known to the powers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And how is he going to do it? Through the church, through us. We are part of something enormously big. We need to grasp what we are part of. And let's go on to verse 18. This is one, uh, another Paul's prayers. I pray that we may, uh, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, with all the church, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. To know everything, the whole depth and width and height of God's love. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, hey, how's God going to answer these prayers? Through his power at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see that it's perfect. Getting, grasping the fullness, the enormity of God's love. How? Through the church. In the church. How does God's power work? Through the church. God's will, God's purpose is to demonstrate his love to this world through the church. That's what we're here for. We need to grasp the enormity of what we're here for. Sometimes, put your hand up if you ever want to give up. You've ever just had, oh, I've had enough. I often feel like that. And I think, I'm not allowed to give up. I'm not allowed to give up. It's not just me, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll give up playing golf. I gave up playing golf after I got married. I met my, golf, uh, my uh, wife playing golf and decided it was far too dangerous after that. But the church, I can't do that. Because it's not just something I've decided to do. 
It's a God-given responsibility. We talked about funerals earlier. One day we're going to have to stand before God and explain ourselves. What have you done with your life? I want to be able to look forward to that day. <laughs> if I give up, man, I wouldn't look forward to that day. We are part of something enormous. And let's go right to the end now. We will get there. So it's Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. Now all this comes after all this advice on church life, family life, work life, uh, community life. Paul says, a whole load of practical things. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We've got an enormous source of power, an enormous source of strength. We matter. What we do matters. But it's not just us. It's Christ in us. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's what our battle is with. Ultimately. But we win. Because we stand. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. See, I've told you the heavenly places is the place of conflict. It's not nice. It's about winning the battle. Therefore, take up the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. God has an enormous task for his church as a whole, for this church. It's a battle. Lots of practical things to do, and part of that was that's part of the battle. But we are part of God's plan. We are part of His purpose. It is God doing, fulfilling His purposes, enacting His plans in this world through us. And we have been fully equipped in Christ to win the battle.